Matthew chapter 12, verses 22 through 30. Then one was brought to him who was demon-possessed, blind and mute, and he healed him, so that the blind and mute man both spoke and saw, and all the multitudes were amazed and said, Could this be the son of David? Now when the Pharisees heard it, they said, This fellow does not cast out demons except by Beelzebub, the ruler of demons. But Jesus knew their thoughts and said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation. And every city or house divided against itself will not stand. If Satan casts out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then will his kingdom stand? And if I cast out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore they shall be your judges. But if I cast out demons by the Spirit of God, surely the kingdom of God has come upon you. Or how can one enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man? Then he will plunder his house. He who is not with me is against me, and he who does not gather with me scatters abroad. Jesus is continuing to do his ministry and he uh, is healing this demon possessed guy and the Pharisees that were the religious ruling class at the time come up to Jesus and they see him casting out this demon and say, man, how is it that uh, you're able to do this? Uh, it's, it's pretty clear that the only way you're able to do this is because you're in cahoots with Satan. And Jesus says, no, that's not possible. It's not possible that Satan can be the one demon possessing somebody and then Satan is the one that's driving somebody out. And he uses this example. He said, two things that are opposed to each other, if they're not united, it's impossible that those things are going to be able to stand. And, and, and so then he continues to tell them, he says, you know, but I am casting out demons by uh, the kingdom of God's power reigning within inside of me. And so the kingdom of God is upon you. And then he ends by saying, uh, you, you can't really go in and take out, take down the kingdom of Satan unless you bind him up first. And that's what I'm doing. I'm binding up Satan so the kingdom of God will come into this place. And then he ends with a nice gut punch and says, you know, who's not with me is against me. <laughs> so where are you at, man? Who you, who you standing with? Many of you may remember from history class, Abraham Lincoln in his house divided speech famously quoted this scripture and said, a house divided against itself cannot stand. And he was speaking in regards to slavery. And what he said is he said, a house divided against itself cannot stand. And he said, I believe this government cannot endure permanently half slave and half free. I do. And he says this, watch this very clearly. I do not expect the union to be dissolved. I do not expect the house to fail, but I do expect it will cease to be divided. It will either become all one thing or the other. A house divided against itself cannot stand. It will become something, but it cannot stay divided. It's impossible for something to stay divided. It will become something, all one thing or all the other, but it cannot exist being divided. What the 16th president quoted in the uh, quoted was the Bible to describe what we all know. We all know this. You can't live in duality. You just can't. Something will always overtake the other. You can't live in a divided state and expect to flourish. Not as a person, not as a family, not as a church, and not as a nation. And, and so we see Jesus addressing these Pharisees. He's not quoting Abraham Lincoln. Many, many people have, have said that Abraham Lincoln said that. I'm like, no, no, no. Abraham Lincoln was quoting Jesus. And he uses this example of a divided kingdom in regards to the deliverance of somebody from demons. And, and the message for, that we're pulling out of this whole part is, is that you cannot live a divided life. You can't. 
As Abraham Lincoln so uh, wonderfully said, he said, you'll either become one of the two things, but you can't live divided. Eventually, it's all going to be over here. It's all going to be there. You can't live in a divided state. Uh, Today in America, we live in in a divided America. Or I should say that we live in an America that loves divisiveness. They, they love an us versus them mentality. And I will tell you that it's not sustainable. It's just not sustainable. If you're tired of the divisiveness, don't worry. It will be over soon because we are going to become one thing or the other. We're not going to live in a constant state of divisiveness. And, and so one size is always going to win out. And, and I will tell you as a pastor, the time that I spend counseling with people is often people ask it. They don't ask this question straight out, but they ask it indirectly. How do I get my life unified? There's, there's division within myself. I want to be something, but I'm doing something else. Or there's division. Turn off your phones. Uh, there's division in my house from every church service until Jesus comes back. Every time you come in, you should bring in your phone and turn it off. How do I get my life unified? Or the worst part of it is, how do I unify the division that I've caused within my own life because I live in duality? And so in the few moments that we have together, what we're going to do is we're going to see what divides a house and how you can get some unity. So what divides a house? The first thing that divides a house is struggles for power divide a house. Struggles for power. Verse 24, it says, Now when the Pharisees heard it, they said, This fellow does not cast out demons, except by Beelzebub, the ruler of demons. What was happening in this story is that the Pharisees were the uh, spiritual power brokers at the time. Uh, They were the ones that were able to control the narrative. They were the ones to be able to control what was going on spiritually with the Jews. And so uh, they didn't want Jesus to do what he was doing. They didn't want Jesus to come in and, and ruin what they were able to have going. They had a really good thing going. And so when Jesus shows up, they don't really care about the truthfulness of his claims. They care more about holding on to the structural power that they have within society. So Jesus comes as the Messiah. Jesus comes preaching truth. And these guys, because they're, they're worried about uh, Jesus and they're worried about the power structure, they do whatever they can to be able to divide people from him so that they do not have to follow underneath what Jesus is saying. Uh, let, let's be, drift back for, for a moment here uh, to... Um, 1214, if you've got your Bibles there, you can see it in Matthew 1214. It says, then the Pharisees went out and plotted against him how they might destroy him. These are not people that are are looking for the truth. These are not people that say, we want to find the truth and we want to make sure that the truth is being told. It would be so interesting to live in a time where power brokers were suppressing the truth to keep people from being able to see what the truth truly was. Wouldn't that be interesting? I'm grabbing at straws here trying to find a time that we lived in where the power brokers of the time were holding back people from knowing the truth so that they could maintain power. Hmm. This is not the mindset of somebody who's trying to find the truth, is it? No. These were learned Jews who knew Moses. They knew the prophets, but they chose to ignore the messianic claims of Jesus. 
Like it, it would have made a, a much different story when Jesus came on the scene. If all the Pharisees and the Sadducees bowed down before him and said, this is the one, this is Messiah. This is the one that we've been waiting for. Guys, did you read Isaiah? Did you read the Psalms? Did you read Ezekiel? Did you read Jeremiah? This is the one guys. This is the one that we have been waiting for. No, John five eighteen. Therefore, the Jews sought all the more to kill him. Because he not only broke the Sabbath, but also said that God was his father, making himself equal to God. Mark 3, 6, then the Pharisees went out and immediately plotted with the Herodians against him how they might destroy him. Now, I, I don't know a lot. Uh, I, I'm not an overly intelligent man, but I have uh, very good emotional intelligence and I know people very, very well. And one of the things I know about people, and this is human nature, and the, the Bible is a timeless book because it addresses areas of human nature. People that have importance do not want to lose their importance. People that have power don't want to lose their power. And so if you're part of a family or a job or society and you've been on the outside, uh, on the edges, and you're seen as not important, and then something happens and then all of a sudden you're really important... You don't want to lose that importance that you have. It's, it's called saliency. It's called being salient. It's important. And so people don't want to give that up. I'll, I'll give you an example. In this time that we're in right now, the public health department is very, very important. Two, two years ago, people were like, public health, what do we care about them, right? Now they're really important. They don't want to give up their importance. The CDC is very important right now. They don't want to give up their importance. The NIH is very important right now. They don't want to give up their importance. When I was in the army and I did mental health back in the late 90s and early 2000s, we were in a period there where there wasn't ongoing bloody wars that were happening. And so as a mental health person, we're always justifying our existence so that we wouldn't get uh, you know, cut out of the military budget, trying to tell people like, no, 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 you need mental health like that. Then all these wars happen. Now mental health is the most important part of the, of the military. All of, they're important now. So the mental health people, I would guess, in the military now don't want to give up that importance. It's like firefighters after 9-11. They were very, very important. So when I see these Pharisees, they aren't even listening to the claims of Jesus. They just want to maintain their power. They want to destroy the opposition at any cost. Now, what does it mean to you? How does this apply to your life? You are in a struggle for power between you and Jesus. It is from the beginning, it is to the end, and, and there is a division that exists between you as a, as, a, as a sinful man and a holy God that needs to be rectified. And every single day we live in this struggle of who is going to control the power in my life? Is it going to be me or is it going to be Jesus? Am I going to follow him or am I going to follow myself? Then Jesus said to them all, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and then follow me. Whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my my sake will save it. This is the struggle for everyone who is not a Christian and for everybody who is a Christian. If you're here this morning and you're not a Christ follower, there's an internal struggle that you have within your heart of, am I going to follow God or am I going to follow myself? And, and you know the truth. You know that God is calling you. You know that Jesus wants you to live for him. But you're living in this constant struggle of like, who is going to control the power in my life? 
Because really the step to salvation is this idea that says you come to God and you say, you know what, man, I'm tired of controlling my old life. I, I don't want to have any power. I relinquish my power to you. And now you have control over my life. And the reason why most people won't become Christians is because they do not want to relinquish power. They, they are a house divided. They, they, they want the things of God and they want to experience God's pleasures, but they don't want to actually give themselves up. They're living a divided life. Now, for the rest of us that know Jesus, that have come to Jesus, that live for Jesus, we still kind of live in this, in this world where maybe sometimes minute by minute, hour by hour, day by day, we live in that constant struggle of who's going to control the power of my life. Am I going to pick up my cross today or am I going to lay it down and I'm going to go live for myself? And, and, if you, and if you're trying to follow God and you're trying to live for Jesus, sometimes you find yourself about noontime saying, who's controlling the day? Have I submitted to Jesus today? Am, am, I, in a power, am I a house divided? I don't, I don't understand. I'm, I'm a Christian. What am I doing? Why am I acting like this? Why am I saying this? I'm a, I'm a, I'm a man divided in himself and I'm, I don't know what's happening. I don't know what happened to me. And so we resist and we don't give ourselves over to this fight. We, 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 we just can't understand why we can't seem to be a unified house. But if you're being honest, you know that we struggle with this on a daily basis. How deeply am I going to honor God with my life? What I'm thinking about right now, is this godly? Am I going to continue to think this? Or am I going to cast down every imagination and make it obedient to the law of Christ? This thing that I'm taking part in, these actions that I'm doing, am I going to continue these actions knowing full well that God called me to something higher than this? I'm a house divided. I know I'm not going to be able to stand it if I continue to live in this duality. We want congruency in our lives, don't we? The, the, the psychologists call it cognitive dissonance. Cognitive dissonance. It, it's, it's when you want something uh, that you say that you want, but your actions are completely opposite to what you say that you want to do. Let me give you a worldly example. Now, some of you might find this surprising, but I actually want to eat healthy. I really do. Um, I lost about 25 pounds about four years ago, and I've kept most of it off for the last four years because I changed my lifestyle. And so if you talk to me, like some days, like I'm really good. Like yesterday I ate kale salad and chicken for lunch, and then for, for dinner I ate cabbage salad and chicken. I, and I killed eating yesterday, <laughs> killed it. Now, Friday, I had to go into Safeway because we needed some barbecue sauce and ice cream was on sale. (laughs) Now, I don't know how you buy ice cream. (laughs) And I knew it was going bad when Crystal said, just grab the barbecue sauce and come back. And I grabbed a cart. I just kind of swung wide, right? I mean, I got that little bit of sweet baby raise, and then you have to go down the aisle, and then I just happened to come down the aisle with the ice. It's on sale. I mean, I don't know how many you buy at a time. I happened to buy eight half gallons. It was on sale. You know what? All you women that come back to the house, do you know how much money I saved today? How much money did you spend? You don't know how much money I saved. Come on, guys. 
always what they say. I spaved a bunch of money on ice cream. I kid you not. I was checking out at self check. I was going to self checkout so I don't have to listen to anybody's comments about what I'm buying. And the self checkout lady called across the little bay there. She goes, is that all for you? And I said, don't get me in Safeway when ice cream's on sale. So yesterday I was sitting in my living room eating my cabbage and my, my chicken. And I, I'm still here, okay? My mind is still good. But the ice cream was talking to me. Come out to the garage, friend. I await you. Chocolate chip cookie dough. Extreme moose tracks. You've been good. The proverbial devil on the shoulder is constantly there. Now I make jokes about ice cream, but we're talking about real life stuff. I have to get you guys to laugh because you're too into it. The challenge is, should I be thinking about this? And someone's just treating me a certain way. And how should I respond? And and sometimes we give ourselves over to the flesh and we become something that we don't want to be. And we say things we don't want to say. And this becomes a divided house. And so we ask ourselves, we're truly walking with Christ. How do I get back? How do I get back to being a house united? And Jesus says, you want friend, that house that's divided will not stand. And he uses the example of Satan driving out Satan. He says, the same one that's possessing can't be the same one that's delivering. It doesn't work that way. If you want to have unity within your own personal life, there has to be unity. You can't say you believe one thing and then do the other. And and as I've pastored over the last, you know, 18 years, I will tell you that that's the struggle with many people. Is there Christians for 90 minutes on Sunday and then they go back and they live another life and then they expect that somehow that the sprinkling a little bit of Jesus juice will fix the rest of their week, but there's no congruency. They watch things they shouldn't watch and they listen to things they shouldn't listen to and they speak ways that they shouldn't speak. They take actions that they shouldn't take. And then they come in and they lie to themselves and they lie to you and they lie to me and they think like, well, I acted good for 90 minutes and somehow Jesus is going to overtake my life. No. A house divided will not stand. It, it bleeds over into work and it bleeds over into politics and neighborhoods and clubs and teams and the church. First yeah. Corinthians 1.10, let me show you what this says. It says, now I plead with you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing and that there be no divisions among you but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. That that spirit of division that will come into a church comes through individuals that refuse to be unified in Christ. That, that, that refuse to say what God wants is more important than what I want. What God desires is more important than what I desire. The things of my flesh need to die so that I can glorify God with every single part of my body. Friends, we can't be divided in the church and expect to honor God. It just doesn't work. And so the, 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 here's, gosh, this is, please hear my heart. I, I can preach some of the most forceful sermons known to man. But at the end of the day, you must receive this, ingest it, and you have to challenge yourself. I can't get in your mind. I, I can't get in your spirit. All I can do is do everything that I can to get you to think 
and to get you to do self-examination and say things like, am I a divisive person? Is what I'm doing for my own benefit or for someone else's? Am I threatened because of the power structures in my own life? Is somebody else trying to take over my ministry? Is somebody else trying to take over my importance in this group of friends? So I must destroy this person so that I can maintain my own power. But I, I can't get into your heart. I can't get in. Only you can do it. And so it, it takes a measure of spiritual honesty to lay before God and say, Lord, am I the divisive one? Am I the one that lacks congruency? Am I the one that's, that's, that's casting stones and saying this person's something that they need not be? Am I casting stones at Jesus? Everything in your house is not a power struggle. If your house is in disorder, and I'm talking about your literal house, whether it's an apartment or anything else where you live, it may be because you are in a divided house that is out of order. Everything in your house is not a power struggle. It's just not. And, and, and this is something that I had to learn after many years of marriage is that early on in my marriage, I, it, it just always felt like, well, I'm not going to let her win. And I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not giving up on this thing because I felt like, oh, well, then I'm not going to be a man or I'm not going to be respected or I'm not going to lose these things. And, and it was just, it was infantile immaturity with lack of understanding of what I was doing that I lived that sort of life. But then as, as Crystal and I have been married now for like 23 years, the reason why we don't fight is that there's nothing worth fighting over. Right is right. Wrong is wrong. Good is good. doesn't matter who owned the plan. It's like, dude, you're right, man. Let's do it that way. Yeah, I was wrong. You were right. Let's just move forward. Like, why? Why why waste the time? We're, We're one flesh. Let's just move together as one flesh. Everything in your house is not a power struggle. And I, and I put this in my notes. I don't want to take away from your parenting class, but you can include this in here. Parents, discipline your children. That is a power struggle. And I, and I will tell you, and, I, and I've seen it in this church, but I'm not your kid's parents. You might let them talk to you a certain way, but they will not talk to me that way. Did you know that your kids only have clothes that you buy them? And so you're in a power struggle with your kid. Your kids can only hang out with who you allow them to hang out with. They can only watch what you allow them to watch. If your kids are slovenly or lazy, it's because you're allowing them to win in the power struggle of your life. They are your kids and it's your job to raise them. Have some congruency in your house. You're the power broker. Jude 1.16. Let me show you what this says. Jude 1.16, these are grumblers, complainers, walking according to their own lusts, and they mouth great swelling words, flattering people to gain advantage. Do not be a flattering person that wants to gain advantage. Take a personal inventory of your divisive spirit. Here's the second thing that causes uh, a, a divided house is inconsistent beliefs. Yeah. Inconsistent beliefs. Yeah. Verse 27, and if I cast out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore, they shall be your judges. Uh, now, Beelzebub is connected to the prophets of Baal, uh, and that's why it's called Beelzebub, which is you know a, a, a reference to Satan. And then Jesus says to them, well, your guys cast out demons, so if I'm casting them out by the power of uh, the devil, then who are your guys casting devils out? Because they're doing the same thing that I'm doing. So how is that possible? His implication is, Well, your people cast out demons by the power of God. I'm casting out demons by the power of God. Now, what he is doing here is he is illuminating the inconsistency of their argument and their belief. 
They, they, they believe one thing and that they, yes, they see demons being cast out by God because that's what they're doing. They chastise Jesus and say, no, 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 but you're doing it by the power of Satan. We're doing it by the power of God. It's an inconsistent belief. Because if the belief is, is that we can cast out demons by the power of God, and we see somebody who claims to be walking with God casting out demons, but we don't believe that this person that says they're walking with God can cast out demons, only we can cast out demons. And Jesus says, Satan doesn't drive out Satan. That would make no sense. That would mean that he is against himself. And anyone or anything that is against themselves isn't going to exist. Part of the struggle of a house divided is that there's a power struggle, but there's this inconsistent belief in that you actually believe one thing here, but the action out here doesn't match up with the belief in what you say. And, and, and so this struggle creates a divided house. It's, it's like creating a disease and selling the cure. It's, it's like clogging toilets and then being a plumber. Like those two things don't work out. Yeah. Like if somebody's in, in, in business, they don't come in and destroy something and be like, hey, I can fix it for you. That, that wouldn't exist. They'd be like, man, don't, don't bring that guy into your house. He's just going to destroy it. And then you're not going to be able to use it anymore. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 14, 33, that God is not the author of confusion. Revelation 3.16 says that, that Jesus vomits out the lukewarm from his mouth. James 1.8 says that the doubting man is unstable in all of his ways. It's, it's inconsistent beliefs that God has called his people out of since the beginning. It's literally the pinnacle of hypocrisy to say one thing and do the exact opposite thing. Like say you were a politician that said everybody needs to wear a mask and then you see them out to dinner or a concert not wearing a mask. That would be so odd if we lived in a time such as this. Sorry, it's really hard for me to not throw those little jabs in. It's a life that believes and preaches something but lives completely and totally opposite. None, none of you would attend this church with myself as your pastor if I lived a life that was inconsistent to that which I preached. Like, God, that guy's such a hypocrite, man. He's mean and he's spiteful and he hurts people and he beats his wife. Like, no. But but there's got to be consistency. We demand it of other people. Yeah. We, we just have to demand it of ourselves. We, 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 and this is what a house divided does. It talks out of both sides of his mouth. It's for something and against something at the same time. It's, it's the spirit of Genesis that says, did God really say, did God really say don't touch that bush? You, you can't be for God and for Satan at the same time. You, you can't believe that Satan delivers and God delivers at the same time. First Kings 18, 21, Elijah came to all the people and said, how long will you falter between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, follow him. But the people answered him, not a word. And, and I will tell you uh, from my past life being in sales, the best salesmen believe in their products. If you don't believe in your product, you can't sell it at all. I mean, I, I, would, I would be selling people these, you know, and, and I sold uniforms and rugs and toilet paper and that kind of stuff. And people are like, man, is this toilet paper good? I'm like, dude, this toilet paper is awesome. So good. I repented of it later. But at the time, I really believed in it. No toilet paper on one big roll is good. It just doesn't exist. But you got to believe in it, man. You really do. So here's the challenge for you this morning as we're walking through this. 
Are there inconsistent beliefs in your life that are keeping you and your house divided? Do you, do you believe in the power of Satan as same as being the power of God? Do you, do you think that God is the author of evil? Here's one of the worst things that Christians believe is that Christians actually believe that Satan is equal to God. I think there's like, they're right here and they're like, oh, they're just in a power struggle. It's like, dude, there, there's, there's such a separation between God and Satan. It doesn't even exist. But here's another, here's some of the inconsistencies. And, and these are the ones that ruin people, churches, and families. Do you believe that someone can't be forgiven? That's an inconsistent belief. That's a divided house. You appropriate the forgiveness of Christ in your own life, but you don't extend it to somebody else. You want to be forgiven of the most nastiest things that you've ever done. And then someone else does something nasty and you think that they deserve punishment and judgment. That, that's a divided house. That's inconsistent. Do you, do you think that only certain people deserve your love and attention? Do you, do you show partiality to people that you, you don't see as a, as a good business contact or somebody that you don't see that you'd want to have hang out with you at your house? Do you enjoy sin and make excuses for it and deem it as a normal part of your life? Do you say like, oh, you know, this is just the way that I am and I've always been this way and this is just who I'm going to be. <clears throat> James 4.8 says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. And purify your hearts, you double-minded. And and part of a unifying, uh, excuse me, part of unifying a divided house is having unity and thought, belief, and action. Yeah. It's consistency in all areas of your life. Yeah. And so, if if you believe something, then you have to have actions that fit with the beliefs that you have. It, it's it, it's and I use the example of ice cream because it's it's an easy example. But uh, there's other areas of your life where it's like there's so much inconsistency, right? If you're if you're going to make the serving God a priority in your life, then you have to do things that make serving God a priority in your life. That means you have to not do certain things. That means your schedule has to change. That means there's certain activities that you say, this is going to take too much of my life for me to be able to adequately serve God in this and not pretend that you're going to be able to do both of those things. Jesus said it, no one can serve two masters for either you will hate the one and love the other or else he will be loyal to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Now, now this is a right now scripture. And, and as your pastors, I've been praying over you over the last couple of weeks. There's many people in this church that are afraid of this mandate, that, that they're making a stand for religious exemptions at their jobs. We've talked about it. We've emailed about it. And, and, I, and I know that some of you are very worried about it. But this is a right now scripture where you can say, who am I trusting in my life? Who is my provider? Who is taking care of me? Who am I living for? Now, I've said it from the pulpit again. It's your decision. I'm not not making a decision for you. If you want to take it, take it. If you don't, don't. But there's got to be consistency. There's got to be consistency to say, well, I'm trusting God doing it or I'm trusting God not doing it. I'm trusting God is going to be my provider. You can take the jab and go to work and still get fired. Who are you trusting with your life? Who are you trusting your provision? Who do you think is taking care of you? Second Kings 17.33, they feared God yet served their own gods according to the rituals of the nations from among who they were carried away. Now, now what idols do you serve in your own life? What idols do you look at and say, well, this place is equal with God. 
This is something I wouldn't give up if he asked me to do it. This activity is more important to me than, than doing things as they are for God. And, I, and, and I've said this before and I'll say it again. Any activity that keeps you from normal church attendance should not be an activity that you do. Christians go to church. And I understand, man, people camp and kids play sports and people have to end up working and all those different types of things. But if you're out of church more than you're in church and you can make an adjustment, you need to make an adjustment. See, when Jesus spoke to the Pharisees, he revealed the inconsistencies of their hearts. Namely, they believed Satan would drive out Satan while simultaneously driving out the power of God. 2 Corinthians 7.1, Therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. I don't know why I'm talking about parenting this morning. It just came up in my notes. But parents, I will tell you one of the reasons why your kids aren't going to serve God is because there's inconsistency in your beliefs and actions. Because the person that you act like on Sunday isn't the person you act like in the car. The, the person that you're on Monday isn't the person you're on Sunday. Kids are smart, man. You come in on Sunday and they're like, oh, mom and dad, they act all Christian. And then they beat me during the week and they fight. And, you know, they've got substance abuse problems and they've got all these issues. And their kids are like, dude, they don't believe in God. They, they don't have any kind of belief at all. Now, I don't say this in a prideful way. I say it in honesty. But, you know, both of our kids serve Jesus. And, and I think in part it's because they always saw consistency in who I am here and who I am at home. They, they, my, my, <laughs> my son also calls me out on my inconsistencies and that helps as well. But they don't want to serve a God that, that their parents are following that's inconsistent. Are you guys still with me? You guys want to hear the third point? Okay, good. Here's the third point. Third and final point. It's going to be a long one. The third reason why a house is divided is not getting at the root of the problem. Not getting at the root of the problem. Verse 29, or how can one enter a strong man's house and plunder his good and, uh, goods unless he first binds the strong man and then he will plunder his house? Hear me on this, because this is going to change the way in, in which you view your divided house. You cannot solve a spiritual problem with a physical answer. You cannot solve a spiritual problem with a physical answer. And, and oftentimes the power struggles, and the inconsistent beliefs, at the root of them is demonic oppression where Satan is trying to destroy your life and you're trying to fix all of the external things. You're trying to arrange things on shelves and, and do these other physical things thinking somehow I'm going to have a, a house that's unified instead of realizing, you know what? I cannot plunder that which the devil has taken unless I take down the strong man first of all. The Bible says that Satan is the God of this world and that the world is under the power of the enemy. And so if you're trying to have a unified house and you're not going head on in an attack against Satan, you are never going to fix the divided house problem. See, what Jesus is describing to these Pharisees is that overcoming the demonic oppression starts with binding up the strong man. You've got to bind up the strong man and then plunder his house. And, and, and plundering is this idea that I'm going to go in and I'm going to take back what is mine. Or I'm going to go and I'm going to take that which they have. I'm going to plunder it. And so if Satan is taking something from me or he's taken something from me, I've got to go in and I've got to take that dude down. And then I'm going to take that stuff back from him. Now, this is exciting to me. I don't know if it's exciting to you, but Jesus describes what we know to be true 
is that Satan must be dealt with. He has to. When's the last time you prayed over your house? When's the last time you prayed over your car? When's the last time you were praying when you went to work? When's the last time you got down on your knees before the Lord Almighty and said, you know what, God, I need you to take down this stronghold that's in my life. I I, I don't know what it is. I don't know if I'm oppressed, if I'm possessed. I don't know if I've given my mind over to Satan, but God, you need to fix this. God, you need to change this thing inside of my life. I'm going to fast. I'm going to pray. I'm going to read scripture. I'm going to sing worship songs. I'm going to do whatever it takes, but I'm going to bind up this strong man and I'm no longer going to allow him to have power over my life. Amen. Ephesians 6:12 we do not wrestle against flesh and blood but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of this darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. So, some of y'all been fighting your physical problems the wrong way. When, when's the last time you prayed it through? When's the last time you bowed the knee? When, when's the last time you came to the altar? When's the last time you took a praise break? You know, a little bit of Holy Ghost dancing. Your pride's too worried about it, man. You're just like, man, what are people going to think about me? What's going to happen when your house is divided and it no longer stands anymore? I I don't know why it works this way, but when I'm going through something, Satan attacks Crystal. And when Crystal's going through something, Satan attacks me. And, And whenever Crystal starts to come under attack, I always start to fast. That's what I do. And, 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 and she'll be like, I notice you're not eating. I'm like, I'm not eating again until this thing's off of you. That's just what I'm doing. And, and, and people say, well, how does that work? I don't know how it works. All I know is that I'm not going to let Satan have control over my wife. I'm not going to do it. I'll, I'll go without eating for three, four days if I need to. And I'll just go to God in prayer and I'll pray in tongues and read scripture and do whatever it takes until that thing comes off of her. And then I'm like, all right, great. Our house is back to being unified. And I'm not talking about anything that she's doing. I'm saying a a literal feeling of oppression that she has over her that can't seem to break through. When's the last time you prayed it through? Because Jesus knew his ministry needed to take down the kingdom of Satan to be able to effectively uh, bring in the kingdom of God. And so what did he do? He went directly at the root, man. He went to Satan. 1 John 4, 4, you are God, little children, have overcome them because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. If Jesus bound the strong man and plundered, you go bind the strong man and begin to plunder. Go and take down the kingdom of Satan. If you are a blood-bought believer in Jesus Christ filled with the Holy Ghost, you have every authority based on Luke 9.1 to go in and take down the kingdom of Satan. There's no levels of spirituality. You have either all Holy Ghost or you are not. And if you've got it, use it. Go in. Plunder the strong man. Say, you want? Get off of my family. Get off of my children. Get off of my job. Get this thing out of my... Change the desires of my heart. Colossians 1.13, is it true? He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the son of his love. Jesus already delivered you from it, man. Just walk in it. What, what roots need to come out in your life? What, what roots are in you that need to be pulled out? These, these satanic roots that are inside of you. Like, man, I don't know why, but I've always been a bitter person. I've always, I was, I was at an angry attitude. I've always just seemed like I wasn't even half full or half empty. I want to break the glass. Like I, that's just my spirit. Hebrews 12, 15, what does it say? It says, looking carefully, lest any fall short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up to cause trouble. And by this, many become defiled. Are you bitter against God because what you haven't gotten? Are you bitter because of what's happened to you? 
Do you have a, a spirit of bitterness against your spouse or against a friend? Do you have a spirit of bitterness against me? I don't know what it is, man, but re- remove it. You can't have Jesus in a unified house if you're bitter because bitterness comes from unmet expectations. They, they come from unmet expectations that are typically not known to somebody else. Pull out that root. Do you, do you have a root of, of loving money too much? First Timothy 6.10. It says this. It says, for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. And, and, and people say, well, I don't love money. Well, well why are you so worried about uh, you know, not having it? Why are you always wanting more? Why are you not satisfied? Why are you always longing for things? Why are you wanting more experiences and more stuff? Why are you always wanting more? Friend, you would be so above this world if you would just give yourself away to the fact of like, I don't need to go there. I don't need to buy that. I don't need to do that. I don't need any of what the world needs at all. So the answer is that you have to be drastic and pull out the root. You have to just learn to destroy it. Check your heart. Check your beliefs. Destroy Satan. And so, and so Jesus says, man, you, you've got to be drastic. And there's many times in the scripture where Jesus said, man, I cast branches into the fire that aren't bearing fruit. And so we look at our own lives and we say, man, I've got this thing, but it's not bearing fruit, but I'm, I'm, I'm just going to hold on to it. I'm going to hold on to this relationship that's not bearing fruit. I'm not talking about your marriage. You got to fix it. Okay. Divorce isn't from God. I'm talking about a friendship that you need not have or a workmate that you need not have. Things that you watch, you're like, man, why am I watching this? I don't feel better after watching it. Why am I doing this? Why am I going there? Why am I spending my money on this? Why am I not changing these things inside of my life? I, I, there's not a lot of television out there that you can watch that is benign. It's very much a struggle to find something that doesn't cause you to sin. And I don't know why this week we were watching Hoarders. Have you guys ever seen that show? Is that a bad show? Should I not watch it? It's, I, I mean, say, has anybody ever seen that show, the hoarding show? God, it's like a train wreck. And everybody else can see it, but no one else can see it. Just get rid of it all. And they're there in the yard, like pulling through piece by piece and saying, well, here's an old tin with a hole in it that we can use for cookies or, you know what I mean? Like, have you guys not seen it? And you're watching it going like, man, just burn it all down. Get rid of all of it. And then you come into your own life and all the hoarding sin that you have in your own life. And you're like, I want to keep this. I could use it later. And everybody else is like, man, everybody else sees you need to get rid of it. But for some reason, you want to hold on to it. Matthew 3.10. And even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree which does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Friend, I want you to go after the strong man. Don't let your house be divided anymore. All the way for Jesus. Last scripture, Joshua 1.9. And I want you to hear this. This is from the Lord. I want you to hear this. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and of good courage. Do not be afraid nor dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Amen? Amen. Amen. Would you close your eyes? Would you bow your heads? We always end our services asking you if you'd like to become a Christian. Now, the other thing that you should learn from me asking this every single week is that you should know what it takes to bring somebody to Jesus. You should know the gospel. Gospel is very simple. 
You're a sinner and you need a savior. You cannot get to heaven on your own. And the pathway is through the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. And so all you have to say is, Lord, I do not want to live for myself. I want to live for you. I want to be forgiven of my sins. I'm going to have a direction change in my life. And if you've never made that decision before, if you've never had a direction change, you said, I'm going to stop living for the world. I'm going to start living for Jesus. I want to be forgiven of my sins. If you've never made that decision and you'd like to do that for the first time today, I'd like you to raise your hand and we're going to pray with you. Is there anybody that needs to make that decision? We always ask at our church as well is that maybe you've been far from God. And I'm not talking to, I always say it, man, not a bad week. We all have bad weeks. You've been gone, gone. You've been star trekking in the twilight zone. You've been gone. And now you find yourself in church and you say like, my house is so divided. I know it's because I'm not walking with Jesus. Or you didn't say, man, my house isn't even divided. It's just, I'm living for Satan. That's what I'm living for. But today you want to make that change. You want to come back and say, man, I'm done walking away from God. I'm going to walk with God. If you want to rededicate your life to Jesus today, I want you to raise your hand and we'll pray for you as well. So anybody that needs to make that decision. Every sermon we preach, we always want to gnaw at our own hearts and say, man, where's the... And and your whole house may not be divided. Maybe it's just a small part and the Holy Spirit's revealing that to you right now. Bind up the strong man. Say, Lord, take this thing out of my life. I don't, I don't, I don't want to be unified. God, I don't want there to be any division in my house. Father, we pray for every single one of us, individuals, our families, our church. God, that we would be unified. We'd be unified in our belief. Uh, we'd be unified in our thoughts. God, that we wouldn't live in a power struggle. We'd let you have all the power. And today, Satan, we serve you notice. You have no power, no authority in our lives. In this church, we cast you down. We bind you up in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus, Satan, get out of these families. Get out of these lives. Get out of these minds right now in the name of Jesus. Holy Spirit, come right now. Set your people free, Holy Spirit, right now in the name of Jesus. No power, no authority can exist except that which is of the living God. And so we cast down those imaginations right now. All of our minds made right in the name of Jesus. Our desires made right in the name of Jesus. Father, we will live for you and you alone. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hey, we want to thank you so much for being online with us today. I want to remind you, if you're not a follower on Facebook, please like our page on YouTube. Please subscribe. Follow us on Twitter. Tell all your friends. Continue to watch online. We thank you for watching. We love you so much. Have a great day.